I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. And you're in the Transporter Room. This week, a second episode, a bonus episode on our regular day of the Transporter Room in which the world is still reeling from Idaho's decision to outlaw transgender girls in school sports. Carly, what have you been hearing from Idaho? If you heard our podcast yesterday during the Trans Day of Visibility, I mean, it, it caught a lot of people off guard. It caught grassroots organizers off guard. It caught the point person from the ACLU off guard. It, I mean, I, I shouldn't have been surprised, Dawn, but I was a little bit. I really thought that, okay, this would at least go to a veto. This would have to go back to the legislature first. But to not only have the governor, or at least the governor kind of, or under Idaho law, if the governor did nothing and it passed the deadline, it just becomes law, but without tacit approval of the executive branch. Instead, the governor signed it. He took out a pen and Brad Little signed it. And, that, and to me, that, that says a lot about what, I'm just going to make it political. That says where the Republican Party is right now. In the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of one of the gravest national crises this nation has faced in the last hundred years, they felt it was more, they, or at least this particular state and other states feel it's more important to once again ride down on trans people, ride down on LGBTQ people. My favorite question was actually one you asked of the ACLU in Idaho. You asked, what was your reaction when the news came down, the governor had signed these bills, and they said, oh, oh shit. shit. Oh, shit. And that's I what mean, a lot of trans people have been saying. But you know what we're saying now? We're going to fight this. We're not going to take this. We are going to boycott. We are going to go to court. And we'll see you in court, Governor Little. Yeah, and I have a feeling that it'll be the person you don't want to see in court. Imagine being the Attorney General of Idaho, and you walk up and here comes Chase Strangio. Transmatic. Yeah, yeah, you don't want <laughs> Chase Strangio is the last, he's the wrong trans man you want to mess with. That's right. And he's going to, and, and, I'll, and there, there's already plans. Them, Lambda, Lambda Legal came out, on, it came out and Lambda Legal fought the, la, fought the last time we went through this in 2018 with Idaho. When a judge said it was unconstitutional. Constitutional. Well, here and we see, go again. And see, but it's not only, a, a lot of people talk about HB 500, but also I want to talk about HB 509 because that shows what I've all done in, in, in any reportage I've done with OutSports on this issue. I've made the point to make sure to, un, to make the link that this is more than just sports. HB 509 was also signed. And that would end the allowance to change your gender marker for, on your birth certificate in Idaho. I mean, tons of other states have, changed, have, have gone back, have, have ended, have, have continued that requirement and they've made it less stringent. They took away surgical requirements and, and medical gatekeeping and so on. And there's Idaho putting them on. And, but also one, another thing has to be pointed out. One of the tenets of HB 500, and I've made a point to put this on Twitter and I'm gonna shout this from the rooftops. Folks, re, if you think it's just about fairness, read the bill. They're calling for things such as genital examination and chromosome testing. Now, to give some context in sport, the IOC ended that practice in 1999 at the behest of protests by athletes. And now you're going to bring back some of the most evasive procedures and processes back to competitive sport. 
I, I mean, if, if Don, this has to be fought. There's no two ways about it. It boggles the mind, but we will fight. And I think that the most important aspect of this battle is, unfortunately, Idaho isn't the only battleground. There are a lot of front lines. And now other states are going to see what Idaho did and try to copy it in their states. This is war. During a, a coronavirus, coronavirus pandemic that is crippling our country, we have to fight a war against our own government, including the Department of Justice right here in Connecticut. Oh, you're talking about um, Attorney General Barr and what they're doing. And, and again, and don't think we didn't forget just because of the coronavirus of what the Connecticut Republicans are doing. Yeah. They are, they are openly, they're openly misgendering and slandering to, they're pitting kids against kids to raise campaign cash. That's one, what they're doing. One of, the other, one of the other issues that we're dealing with right now, as I mentioned, the coronavirus pandemic, you know what I've been reading a lot on Twitter is disability advocates of, and friends of mine are saying, oh, now it's okay to work from home. Now it's easy to work from home. But when I asked for you to let me work from home, then it was impossible. You know, yes. it got me really upset. And I, I think that come the other side of this curve, we've got to do a lot of rethinking of how we treat uh, disabled workers in America. Exactly. But that, but that goes back to something that you know I believed on, and we What's fight that? over it from time to time. What's that? But, but basically, the idea that we're all the working class. And when, we, when, you, when you pit able-bodied workers against disabled workers, when you pit gay workers against straight workers, when you pit trans workers against cis workers, what you're really doing is hurting all working people. You know, yeah, I've been that doing, divides uh, the working class. All politics aside, I've been doing some scanning with our equipment here. And from the bridge, I've been able to sense that we have some people we could talk to who might know even more about this than you and me. What do you say? Oh, we I, say, beam them up? I, say we, I say we beam them up. I believe, one's in, I believe one's in Florida and one's in California. We're going to beam them both up. We can we beam got, up two different locations at once. We have the technology. Yes, we do. We're beam. Okay, we're going to beam them up. Everybody, I give you the disabled girls who lift. Mary Beth and Marsha, welcome to the transporter room. Hey, Thank y'all. You. Thank, Thank you, you so us. much. Do you know you're historic? You're the first podcast we've had on our podcast. <laughs> wow. There it is, podcast We are making history. That's right. It's like a docking in space. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is... Yeah, we have the yeah. This is uh, this is the new Apollo Soyuz test project going on right here. Girl power, and, Girl power. and exactly. And first, for the both of you, introduce yourselves and also introduce your podcast and get into how you became disabled girls who lift. Oh well, it is an absolute privilege. First of all, thank you for having us as your first podcast. Um, I'm Mary Beth over here in California, and unfortunately, only two out of three of our um, co-hosts can make it today. But I have I have a limb difference. You know, I was born without a hand. I realized how lonely I was in this so-called disabled community. You know, growing up in college, joining powerlifting, um, realized there are way more, way more like me. Not only you know out there out there in the world trying to survive, but who are strong as fuck, and who are women, and who you know are 
just conquering in these sports. So uh, I was lucky enough to find people like Chloe and, and Marcia over the years. We met what, three years ago now. Um, just, you know, communities like this it starts with anger. We get we get angry uh, when we when we faced when we face ableist people in the gym, ableist people out in the marketplace, um, face ableist agendas, you know, in our sport prohibiting us from just competing. Uh, so I was I was lucky enough to you know get to know these ladies, build a community, start Disabled Girls Who Lift, and one morning Marcia, who's also on the call now. <laughs> <laughs> woke up one day and was like, hey, let's start a podcast. There's way too much shit when you talk about. Yeah, that's pretty much how it happened. And I mean, again, I'm Marcia. I'm from South Florida. So none of us have met in person. Wow. Um, we're just angry people on the internet that have found <laughs> each other. <laughs> and so I don't have a visible disability. I have an invisible illness. And I don't actually even have an official you know, capital D diagnosis from a medical physician or whatever. Um, but a lot of what Mary Beth has gone through and a lot of what I went through in the onset of my illness, I felt like I had no one to talk to. So I would just rant and rave with Mary Beth and, you know, we'd be like, oh, we should do something. All right. And then, you know, a couple months will pass. Ah, oh, man, we should do something. Yeah, you're right. A couple months will pass. Finally, I was like, you know what? Now. Yeah, do something. <laughs> <laughs> And um, here we are. And uh, like Mary Beth said, there's actually three of us. So Chloe couldn't join us today. She's in Iowa. And like all of us, she's also affected by this pandemic. So she has to switch to like online classes. And I mean, her, her stuff's all a mess. Like right now I should be at work. I'm at home. It's all a mess. Tell me this. Because you don't have a so-called diagnosis, right? you see a parallel between you being able to define yourself and describe yourself to others as we do in terms of self-identifying because there are people who think that you can only be trans if well a doctor says so mm -hmm. i can only be a woman if i have a piece of paper or plastic that says f for female do you see a parallel between the transgender identity and a disability identity definitely i do and i think there's there's levels to it so like on my end and in the beginning, I was very hungry for that. I wanted somebody to give me the answers, right? Like I wanted to go to a doctor and I wanted him to be like, well, it's lupus. Well, it's Ehlers-Danlos. Well, it's this. Well, it's that. And this is your answer. And, and that's what I hung on to. Um, but, and I'm sure that's also the trans experience. After a while, you realize like, okay, these guys aren't going to save me for shit. Like this isn't going to work. And you, and you kind of move away from like, all right, I don't need this guy to be my answer. Like, if they help me, they help me. If they don't, they don't. I'm going to figure it out on my own. And kind of finding a community outside of the medical model, defining what I am and what I should be doing is really what's helped me get anywhere. So, you know, medically speaking, every doctor I've ever seen, every specialist is like, ah, something's up, but I don't know what anyways. Or the other half is like, well, you have anxiety. You should just meditate. And so everybody has either, I don't know, or, oh, it's nothing. And after a while, you get tired of that. And, you know, you realize, like, okay, something's got to give. Like, why am I hanging on to these guys as my salvation? I have myself. There's other people going through what I'm going through. Like, okay, let's figure some shit out. And I think that definitely is a parallel because it's, 
it's the same idea of um like what you said earlier about medical gatekeeping it's the same idea because luckily for me i'm self-employed but in most other people's circumstance they need that official stamp so they can apply for disability so they can go to their employer and say well you need to comply with ada because i have this on this sheet of paper and that's really dumb and in many ways it's great for you as far as experimenting you know what works instead of throwing all these medications at you you have been try you've been using all these organic you know methods that don't rely on the system right and and it's not to say like as as we always say there's nothing wrong with medication like you gotta take some pills take some pills fuck it but um there's a lot wrong with people just throwing things at you and that's what was being done for me nobody knew what was going on they just threw things at me like oh well maybe it's this you know i've had doctors tell me like oh well this test normal but maybe you're like subclinical so we'll give you this anyway like nobody knew what they were doing like you're a guinea pig <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah um, pretty much nobody and of knew course they're they all getting doing. kickbacks from some of these pharmaceuticals too so yeah oh, they're yeah. getting kickbacks they're charging these and <laughs> and the thing is, is i like to read my like you know explanation uh explanation of benefit benefits and um all those things and what they bill and they'll bill to the top you know, like every visit you could pick, you know, like this is a regular person. This was complex. They'll build complex. They'll build this. They'll build that. They'll get paid $400. And I'm thinking all I did was sit in the office and they told me, um, take four pills instead of three. Mm. <laughs> it's crazy working through the medical industrial complex, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's wild. And, and on the, on one side, when you work it, when you work them, when you're in the medical side of the street, they're trying to throw things at you. But talk talk to me about the athletic side of the street when they're trying to shove you aside or throw you away or keep you away from it or try to reclassify you in some in some manner. What are some of the things that able-bodied athletes like myself need to understand about the real of what goes on when you're disabled and you want to compete? Well, I'll tell you from, in terms of invisible illnesses or uh, like neurological disorders, um, it's tough because there are times that we want to participate in sports, but we literally can't either because we're not allowed or nobody made the effort to make it more inclusive. So for example, in Mary Best Sports, you can go more into powerlifting and how that works. And for anyone that doesn't know, it's just three main lifts, squat, bench, deadlift, and you just try to go for the highest number that you can. Everybody uses the same kind of weight, the same kind of bars. Like it's a very standard thing. Can I just do um, the one? other? Because <laughs> <laughs> well, you could do bench only, actually. Lifting myself off the couch is pretty much the most exercise I get. <laughs> there, there are some bench specialists out there, so you can, okay. <laughs> you can sign up for that. But, but, but seriously, back to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> no worries. Um, so, but I also, in addition to powerlifting, I also do strongman, which is a little more fluid than powerlifting. When it comes to that competition, it could be whatever they decide. It could be a log press. It could be lifting heavy stones, whatever. So in strongman, there are a couple of people here and there that might have something that they call, oh, this is for disabled athletes. Oh, this is the adaptive. Um, but that's like five people. And that's it. Um, there's no sort of greater movement. And, you know, uh, we've had an episode with Crescenda on about how she even tried to get into that. And they told her, like, oh, you're not the right kind of disabled. 
So even that whole situation is convoluted. And, you know, we're not banging down at anybody's doors and saying, like, you suck, you got to let us do this and this and that. Like, like we're just here and we just want to hang like everybody else. Now, interesting you talk about that, the right kind of disabled. Mary yeah. Beth, we t- you talked about that in, in our interview <laughs> that where you talked about you have to be – for those of us who don't know, explain. I mean, to me, that kind of stupefies the mind, though, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, being black, that's kind of like, oh, you're the right kind of black person, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's the way it kind of hits me. What does that mean? You have to oh, be yeah. the disabled that I understand, that's cute enough, that is, you know, brand worthy. That's the right kind of disabled. That's it. It doesn't even oh, matter yeah. what the label is. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't. Like, at the end of the day, I don't like how you look. I don't know what you got going on. Eh, so, no, thank you. Not the right And that's, that's a problem that invisible illnesses or chronic illnesses face on a daily basis. You know, society looks at you and, and they realize you have a handicap placard. Um, and they're the ones who decide whether or not you can park there. That's exactly how it works right now for, you know, um, and, and I'm thankful that there are specific sports that have categories for adaptive athletes, for disabled athletes. But when they say that you don't qualify because you have EDS and it's not an official, you know, it wasn't officially diagnosed or it wasn't, it's not an official disability. It's just, where we're going in circles here. You're not missing an arm. You're not missing a leg. You don't look good for my platform. You're not disabled enough. That's essentially what that means. And, and Crescendo, one of our good friends, has been fighting to get into a disabled strongman, you know, purchased her tickets, got into the, she qualified for the meet, purchased her tickets to fly out there, her hotel stay, and then the day before was told that. And it's just, and it's so unfair. And in my case, you know, I was supposed to go out to nationals for powerlifting. Um, For the four years that I was in my federation, they had no idea that I even had a disability as a national, you know, in a national level. Um, My state obviously knew because I was pulling deadlifts with one hand. But the minute I asked for some sort of accommodation, because I found this awesome adaptive tool that could have helped me you know, level the playing field and, and pull the deadlift like everybody else, they're like, no, no, you can't use that tool. Mary Beth, Why? which federation was it? Um, US, uh, US APL. So it's, if I you know J.T. Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> I, knew it. I was going to say, it's got to be Larry Mail. It's got to be the Lawrence Mail bigot of the century. Because, um, you know, we've yeah, been going round and round for more than a year uh, trying to follow the J.C. Cooper fight. And mm-hmm. It's the same fight. They just only want certain people to be a, a weightlifter, powerlifters. Thank you. Thank you. And I absolutely love that there is this community that decides, you know, I'm not going to support that federation anymore. Because three, four years ago when this happened to me, I felt so alone. It's like why I got, you know, lawyers involved. I got all of my, my coaches and um, these amazing people in the medical industry showing how I wasn't lifting at an advantage because my hook, my um, tool that I was using can easily slip off the same way that someone's, you know, hook hand grip can, can falter. Um, So now with JC Cooper and so many other folks, like I feel like I have this community 
fighting for a right to compete. And I'm so, so thankful for that. And it is, and I want to say, like, it is our right to compete. And it's funny because this organization, last time I checked, is a nonprofit organization because they're doing amateur sports, right? Like, how how are you supposed to be a non-for-profit amateur sports for everyone, but, like, uh, uh, not for you? Mm-hmm. It makes no sense. Mm-hmm. And in and in JC's case, even when she, you know, she plays by the rules, she she fills out all the paperwork, she makes sure that her hormone levels are exactly the way that the Olympians do it. Why does USAPL have the ability to, you know, ban all trans athletes? If the Olympics are allowing for specific, you know, under these specific guidelines. I don't I don't understand. What was it like? What was it? I'm, actually, I want to touch on that a little bit. What was it, Mary Beth? What was it like to see at the high, uh, during when JC's case was going through, and they told her that she couldn't compete? To see other lifters from other teams, other cities, going up, setting up for the lifts, and then timing out in protest. What did it mean for you to see that type of action? by athletes for an athlete amongst an athlete it was absolutely beautiful the fact that you know we're showing them you know we could give you money to pay for this meet or whatever we'll we'll sign up as an athlete but as a usapl member i stand by this athlete and this community because there there is power in numbers but like unfortunately we also live in a in a society where the majority is against that. The majority is against, you know, trans girls play, playing or competing against other girls because of this narrative that they're that they're portraying in the media that that trans girls are not girls, but they obviously are. But yeah, yeah that was, was beautiful. Awesome. That's that's what we've been saying. <laughs> Let me ask you a question as the obviously um, very white girl here. Um, <laughs> about intersectionality and I'd like to know um, how that works into your experience as an Asian American, as a person of color. Um, I'm not sure how Chloe identifies, but um, one of the jobs I feel I have as someone who benefited from male privilege for 40 years, as someone who still benefits from white privilege, is to shut the fuck up and pass the mic to people who don't have a seat at the table actually step up from the table and give them that seat. How is intersectionality working in your group in disability? Well, it definitely helps to see that, you know, we are experiencing, especially during the coronavirus pandemic, where a lot of, a lot of people of color, a lot of disabled people who have, you know, since lost jobs and will fight as hard as they can to get back up on their feet. And, you know, 40% of their peers are, have the ability to work from home and they do not, like, we're seeing that. And we have been seeing that for a long time. Um, but we, what we have relied on is, you know, people in the white community, people with privilege to help speak for us, especially in a forum like, you know, USAPL, where those are the only folks that, that lead the federation. The only people, the only type of community that they'll listen to because I'm just a brown girl who, you know, migrated from the Philippines who doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. 
<laughs> so that I have the, the people who are representing me, you know, are people of privilege <laughs> who can speak on behalf of me. And I, I really rely on that community and I really rely on that, you know. So, I mean, thank you for oh, recognizing no, no. that. Don't, don't, don't say that. But I would say that it is it's incumbent on us, though, to speak when you guys don't get a chance to speak for yourselves. And I don't mean guys in the guys. Sense, but, um. no, it's very true because the movement would have gone nowhere if if it's just if it's just us if it's just angry black women if it's just angry brown women it's just angry disabled girls they're just like mm, well we didn't give a shit about them anyway next <laughs> like we we kind of need that extra support from people of of all intersections to come around and be like all right they're shitting on who okay let's go fight them. Well, see, that's my feeling on it. We need to be, I mean, I'll admit, I'm going to bring, I mean, Dawn's going to, Dawn's going to cringe, but we're going to bring a little hammer and sickle in here today. <laughs> Is that, like I said, we're, we are all connected by being, by being workers. We're all connected by being human beings. And in this case, we're all connected by being athletes. To me, we need to be, we need anger. I right. mean, we need anger, especially because Dawn was talking about in her introduction. Why is it, okay, all of a sudden, Working at home is okay. Working at home is okay. Making adaptions, making some exceptions, making things easier is okay. But for example, if a good friend of mine needs, needs, a shelf, needs an adaptive shelf grabbing tool so they can reach up and get something, that's not okay. That's, oh no, we can't make that allowance. Or, I mean, we still have people in this time. We're 30 years past ADA. We still have people who are building buildings who are fighting ramps being put in. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're still, we still have people that have problems putting Braille inserts on the dang elevators still. You know, that's, and actually that's been law of the land for, that's been standard practice in architecture since I was in kindergarten. I think we need some anger. Um, and that leads me to a question. Where is the, I mean, where are the, where are the biggest issues you think we're looking at in terms of disabled rights and disabled sports that if we don't know, we need to be knowing and we need to be acting? Yeah, what's funny is right now what I'm realizing is the only way federations or buildings or, you know, employers are going to act on it is if you file a lawsuit or if you realize that able-bodied people are are being affected by this and it's really sad that we have to go you know to those terms but that's that's the way that i'm seeing it right now i i work in a um in an in the arts industry where i you know manage performing arts venues and that's how i'm seeing change change being acted upon um but to answer your question, I, we're just, we think that we're, you know, so progressive when it comes to, to sports and, and we're really not, we're only just starting. Um, I know, and I'm super thankful for, um, you know, organizations like, uh, why can't I think of it? Marcia. <laughs> Mm -mm. Nope, nope, don't come over here. <laughs> um, organizations like uh, the disabled organizations for what is that? Stouty? Which one are you talking about? For what? Wheelwad? Yeah. There I'm we go. sorry. And I'm super thankful for organizations like Wheelwad, Disabled Strongman, or, you know, 
any other sport that allows for the adaptive athletes. But powerlifting, we've got a long ways to go. We don't have, we don't have an adaptive division. Um, and of course, they'll fight and say that there aren't enough of us. Yet I see them all over the internet. I can point to at least fifty women who are disabled who compete in some way, shape, or form. Um, in sorry, in who train in some way, shape, or form as a powerlifter. Um, so if you say that there's just not enough, that's you turning the blind eye. Yeah, I think so that's, the, that's a big one. One of the biggest problems for sure in all circumstances is the fact that they're trying to put the onus on us. So the same thing with powerlifting. They're saying, oh, they're not there. They're not out there. Nobody wants to power. Like, yes, number one, there are people with disabilities that want to powerlift. And number two, they don't necessarily need to be pushed off to do the para divisions or they don't have to be pushed off to Special Olympics especially in a sport like powerlifting that's very organized and very one, two, three, there's no reason that it has to be separate because we're not showing up to be separate. Like we just want to hang. We just want to powerlift. Um, so obviously, yeah. So, I mean, every sport is a little different for, for powerlifting. It doesn't make sense. Something like strongman, if you want to make something separate, okay, it makes sense because you might have to set things up differently than everybody else has to wait a little longer. The setup's a little different that's fine. But at the core, we still have the same problem where they're coming to you and saying, ah, there's not enough people that want adaptive divisions. There's not enough people for this. Well, we can't force people to do that. And we can't, okay. I mean, at some point in the sport of strongman, women didn't compete. So how did that start? You know, at, at some point they weren't doing it in the U S. So how did that start? It doesn't really make sense for you to just kind of water down the effort of somebody else coming up and saying hey we want to hang and being like ah no there's not enough of you like historically speaking that's how all of this started so what do you mean i'm just mm -hmm. amazed at the parallels because this is what we hear all the time why don't you have your own league <laughs> you know why, <laughs> why why can't you why can't you just have a trans only league why do you have to compete against real girls and mm -mm. you know maybe they don't use the word real in connection with your folks but <laughs> It just it just boggles my mind that there's so many parallels. This is so great that we're able to hear another perspective of a similar problem. And, you know, I'll be very frank. I grew up with my very first cousin. Um, his name was Kenneth. He was in muscular dystrophy. He was in a, uh, he had to use a wheelchair to get around from age 12 until he died when he was 19. And we used to talk about two things. He hated the fact that people would talk to the person pushing the wheelchair, mm -hmm. ignoring the person in the wheelchair because you're making eye contact, or that to get around town, we would have to go to everyone's driveway to be able to get down the street. This is back in the 70s. Mm -hmm. So he wrote to his mayor back in New Jersey and said, why can't I get around town? Why can't you make the corners accessible to everybody? And they were among the first curb cuts in the country. Curb cut. Yep. Mm -hmm. He was responsible for bringing that to his town. And I, I, I'm so grateful for him doing that, but I miss him terribly. And he never saw himself as, um, you know, disabled first. That wasn't a label. He saw himself as just a person who used a wheelchair to get around. And every time I see another journalist use the word confined to a wheelchair, mm. I, I have a shit fit. And I write yeah. to them saying, nobody's confined to a wheelchair. It helps people get around. But you see, that's a but that's one of the good things that's come out in the new AP style book is that a lot of that language is now changed. 
in part because it uh, like Marcia, like you were saying, how did this start? It started because someone stood up and said, we can do better. And that's one question I have for the both of you. In what way can sport do better to be more adaptive? If someone puts you in charge and says, okay, you're the head of the IOC, you're the commissioner. What's that one thing you'd say right out of the gate to make sport across the board more adaptive? I'd say right out of the gate, if we were really serious about making things better, then we need the voices that'll help us understand how to be better. Like, I'm, I'm tired of the same people sitting in the same room saying, well, I can decide. Like, no, nah, you don't know shit. So make a group of people that do know some things, and then you can get it moving for real. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, and don't be lazy about it. I and sh I shit you not. I have heard that the way that some people have made policy for, you know, the blind community is they walk around blindfolded or they walk around with their eyes closed. This is not how you do it. You do it by listening to communities like us. And I and and I know damn sure that people have, you know, said, "Hey, we're missing a ramp here," or "This gym is not accessible," or "Hey, I need, I need this accommodation." to be able to even lift like everyone else. I'm not trying to, you know, this is not for athlete gratification. I'm not, I'm not trying to win, although sure, it wouldn't be nice. It would be nice if we did. Um, I just need to compete like everybody else. So listen to what those accommodations are. If that's, you know, taking a look at a specific tool that somebody needs or building another ramp for the stage so that the wheelchair can get up there. What's your message to USAPL and other people who don't get what you need? Is it that you want to be treated like everybody else or that you think that the accommodations you need will make it more fair? Oh, all of that. But also stop fearing us. I feel like there is fear that, you know, we're, we're constantly a liability in their heads or they, the way that these federations think is about money. You know, they don't want to get sued, but we're signing the same forms as everyone else. If we get injured, if somebody else, you know, lifting a thousand pounds on their back gets injured, it's the same thing, but no one turns around and sues you because of that. And just because I'm bringing in, you know, a device that you've never seen before, take a look at it. I offer to send it to you, to your home mailbox, to your office mailbox, whatever, I'll have the company explain to you in detail what it's for. <laughs> but like, why do we have to jump through these hoops time and time again? Just, just listen to us and, you know, don't, fearing us is only going to make it worse as far as keeping us in, in separate categories. I've been wanting to compete in the open because I have, um, and I'm grateful that they have some adaptive, you know, some adaptive divisions for others who, who don't feel comfortable competing in the open but if I want to compete with an able-bodied athlete I'm putting myself you know in that position just take a look at take a look at it yeah I think Ma it's just Marcia? yeah the very simple thing is just listen to us just listen to us and you know at the core of it it's like number one they think we are different we are other they don't understand it so whether it's fear, or whether it's just lack of understanding, whether it's ignorance, 
I'm like, I'm sorry, you're gonna have to get over that. And then number two is like, people want to take things personally. Like, if I come to you and your organization, I say I need this, you're not giving it to me. Well, I'm not a bad person. Oh, oh, my cousin has this, and I'm I'm nice. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, calm down. Like, it's okay if you don't understand us. Like, at heart, you don't have to be a bad person, but just listen to us. This is what we need. This is what we like. And there's no reason that we shouldn't be here. Like, we deserve to be here. It's a human right. Sport is for everyone, all bodies, fat, thin, black, white, brown, one arm, two legs, whatever. It's for everyone. So, like, at, at the bare minimum, just listen to us. Sports is a human right. Yeah. It really With is. The fourth principle of Olympism. True. In mind, I want to I touch on the sport a little bit. What, what is it like for you to step on that platform or to take that bench? to put that weight in your hand and lift it. What's that like for the both of you? What does it mean in the larger sense of your life and what you do every day to have that moment where you say, I am powerful and you lift that weight? Mm. Well, it's funny when when y'all mentioned intersectionality, you know, this is the reason why I joined the sport. It made me feel so powerful. It was one of the only sports, honestly, that felt that empowering to me, you know, coming up from a super low class background, having migrated here from the Philippines, having not found a place in the system, you know, being pushed out of almost every career that I wanted. I can't, you know, I can't be a surgeon with one hand. I can't, and I'll still try for it, but I can't be in law enforcement. Who knows if I even want to go that route anymore. But, <laughs> you know, I couldn't have joined the military if I wanted to because of my disability. There's so, there's a long list of things that I can't do because of what society tells me. But finding the strength in myself as a petite, disabled, brown woman being able to lift two, three times my, my body weight, you know, there's, there's amazement in that. And of course the crowd gets you going, you know, the, and finding the difference between someone who's genuinely proud of your strength or someone who's, um, what do we call it? Um, Just what do we inspired call it? by you. Inspired. <laughs> uh huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this inspiration porn that we're trying to slowly die out. Um, you know, there's, there's levels to that too. And I'm glad that you all mentioned, you know, what it's like as a reporter, what it's like as a journalist to talk about disabled athletes or um, the disabled community in general, because this inspiration porn, we got to get rid of it. Well, yeah, what definitely. often happens is um, news people know that, 99% of the news we put out there is negative news. So then they try to counterbalance that. And I worked in television news for 30 years with good news. Here's some good news. And what is good news? Good news is that plucky little disabled person who does something that makes you go, aw, gee whiz. And then quick change the channel, move on with your life. You know? <laughs> I think yeah. people forget that. But, but notice, we don't want to talk, but at the same time, notice, when it comes to the, we don't want to show those bad disabled people, you know, like the ones from like, ones from like Crip the Vote, who basically shut down Congress a year ago. Well, mm -hmm. I was there for that. I saw, no, I saw that. 
Well, the thing I'll say is that there, there are good trans people, there are bad trans people, there are good disabled people, there are bad disabled people. We come in all flavors, you know, all different colors, all different yes. disabilities. Mm-hmm. And, and what really bugs the hell out of me is that when people go out to do like interviews in the street, what do you see a lot of? White guys. A lot of white guys. Mm-hmm. Do they interview people of color? Do they interview people in wheelchairs? Do they interview somebody who's walking with a disability or living with a disability? You know, it's very often that even experts are often the white guy, the guy in a lab coat. And, you know, you look around the Trump administration, that's all you see. Um, the one, one of the many things I loved about Obama was that he really had a diverse, um, you know, leadership that represented America. And that's what we need right now is we need a, a, a leadership that, that looks like us. It's one of the reasons I got involved in local politics here in, in my slice of Connecticut is that there's too many people like me. There's too many people like me who are, you know, white privileged and not experiencing um, the other part of life that we need to have those voices heard. Right. Right. Um, and to go back a couple beats ago to answer um, Carly's question about how it feels um, for this sport, I would say that um, kind of the similar experience of Mary Beth, but I will say that when you find yourself um, on the other side of an invisible illness and your body doesn't do the things you think it should be doing anymore, and somehow you pull all the pieces together, you throw that shit together, and you go to one of these competitions. Right now, I've been doing strongman, and you know you're struggling to do something, and there's like 50 people screaming in your face for you, and they don't care what you look like, they don't care where you've been, they don't care who you voted for, they don't give a shit. They just want to see you lift some weights, and you get it. Oh there's nothing better. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing about that is like on a local level, that feels amazing. And that feels great. And have this little bubble of support and camaraderie. And, you know, there are people that know I have an invisibility. There are people that don't. There are people that see the color of my skin and see that it's different. There are people that are like, I'm brown too, whatever. Um, so on a local level, it's, it's an amazing experience. But once you look outside of that, it's like, all right, this is, this is not what everybody's getting. <laughs> so you're saying they're cheering the achievement, but yeah, but yeah, yeah, something, yeah. It's but something that you want. To, is it that you want them to cheer the other part of you that they can't see, or is it that that's what satisfies you? Is that they're che- cheering on your achievement? No, that's what satisfies me. But the the part of it that is, um, so it's amazing for me, right? For me in South Florida with my South Florida strongman community, with the people that know me, with the people that message me, the people that cheer me on at these competitions, it's great for me, but somebody in the middle of, I don't know, California or Iowa or whatever might not have this same community. And like, is that their fault? They want to hang, they want to do what I'm, what I can do, but they can't because on a national level, this organization doesn't really give a shit. Like, that's the part that kind of that kind of makes me want better. Like, okay, it's cool for me here, but it should be cool for everyone everywhere. <laughs> Can I ask you about coronavirus? Yeah. How you all doing about that? How's it? How's life? Even what's going on in America right now? Uh, well, where I am in Florida, um, there's like three counties that have the most cases, and I'm in one of those, so that's cool. Um, and I live with my husband and two, my cousin and my brother. So there's like a, you know, a gaggle of us in here and we're still trying to do grocery shopping and we're still trying to work and we're still trying to navigate this kind of really funky time where things are closing 
technically in my city we're not allowed to be out past eight wow. you know uh the restaurants wow. are closed we have to like shuffle and find you know i'm not gonna i can't go to the big box publixes i gotta try and find some middle mom and pop it like in the cut like you gotta find like, the bodega yeah, I gotta find a good date. I feel like I'm in The Walking Dead. It's it's The Walking Dead. It's really weird. <laughs> Wait, That's y'all have a here. curfew? Y'all have uh, a curfew city, because My city does, which is scary because they've taken my state has taken like this certain cities are like oh this is real and then my county's like uh wait and then my state's like uh we'll see so like there's so <laughs> many different levels of enforcement and messaging and. It makes sense. You know, it's see, wild. You know, on CNN.com, there was a story about that where they were talking about how you had red states where, where, where the rest of the state, if it's a red state especially, is saying, eh, we're, we're not for these restrictions when the population centers in that state are saying, no, we need those. We yeah. need restrictions. We need them. Yeah. That's Florida. That's definitely Florida. Well, especially with those Miami uh, spring breakers over there. <laughs> <laughs> oh How about you, Mary? You know, we we've like seen them all over the oh, news. <laughs> Mary Beth, what's it like for you? Oh, child. Oh, California. We've been we've been shut down for a little over two weeks, almost three now. And me, you know, I'm on the UC Berkeley campus, so I started seeing it the week of my birthday, and it was oh, it was killing me because hearing you know what Stanford was doing, what Harvard was doing, sending all their kids home, and not not considering whether or not they even had the ability to fly home, fly internationally, go to, you know, a safe space. Berkeley actually allowed students to stay, but put all classes online, um, which is the best thing to do because, you know, they can stay in their dorms if they want to, or if they leave their dorms, they get a refund for whatever, you know, prorated time they didn't stay. But me working all the, you know, performing arts venues on campus, that, that is a large gathering crowd that I rely on for work. <laughs> so I actually don't have any work until the end of June. Wow. Um, I've been, you know, picking up, picking up pieces where I can, finding remote projects where I can, and finding remote work for my students who work for me. But it's been hard. It's been, you know, one day I wake up crying, the other day, and without any gyms open, that's, all, that's the biggest thing that's killing me right now. Because <laughs> if, I, if I weren't working, I'd be training, you know, and I, I can't even do that. So I, I lift my dog. I lift a bag of rice. I do what I can. <laughs> I've been back kind of there. back old school. Yeah, okay. yeah. I, also, a lot, of, a lot of thumb work. I've been doing a lot of thumb work, you know, channel changing. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah, <we're>, our <laughs> typing. I know, especially we're trying to get Dawn. Well, the goal is we're trying to get Dawn off the couch and do a 5K. All you need is a crane. Um, I did a 5K 10 years ago and uh, pre-transition and I will, um, I will need a lot of work. I did want to ask Marcia. Wow, congrats. Uh, Mar- thank you. Marcia, you mentioned you have a husband. Um, does he know you're yeah. in the closet? <laughs> Literally, <laughs> oh. yes. You <laughs> can't see this on our listeners. Our listeners can't see, but Marcia's on Zoom right now, and yeah. she's literally in the closet next oh, to the speakers. And yes, oh, I just Quite had to make literally. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I want to touch on a little bit of sci-fi? Oh yeah, I, because Marcia, you said because, because we always do a sci-fi show. roundup with the show. Um, now oh, you say okay. you dabble, okay. you dabble in it a little bit. So what you dabbling dabble, in? Dabble, yeah, dabble. what you dab? What what you been dabbling in? 
Well, I'm late. I'm very late to the Star Wars game, but I just got into it. I have not seen one through three, as my husband said they're not worth seeing. <laughs> they're, so they're I, I'm, I'm worth <laughs> it's worth it. So it's just, it wouldn't be, the first, shouldn't be the first movies you see. Yeah, so I'm I'm somewhat caught up there. Um, but I also play video games. So the sci-fi s video games like Mass Effect, um, or Outer Worlds and Fallout, I'm pretty into. So what what was your okay with Fallout? What was your thought yeah. on Fallout seventy six? I didn't even touch it. You know, I didn't even touch it because I read all these uh, reviews and I was like, I can't. I, I'm not wasting my coin on this because um, it's supposed to be like a multiplayer situation, uh, but it it doesn't work. It doesn't function the way you think it would function. So I was just like, eh, I'm out. And a part of what made Fallout so fun is the characters that they put in the game. You don't really get that in the 76. They're basically like blank slates and it's like, you only talk to pre-recorded robots or something. Now I do want to know what fa- when you play seven, when you play Fallout, who's your yeah. faction? What set do you claim on Fall on Fallout? Who you who's your faction? <laughs> I, I I would um, say I, at first glance I would say Brotherhood of Steel for you. Oh yes, I go hard. <laughs> yeah, the full okay. heavy outfit, all yeah. of it. And I'm That'd not the lovely. person. I'm not the person that can replay. You know, some people replay and they do all the different things and see how different things go. Like now, nah, I'm just like, I just make myself in the game and I do what I would do. That's it. <laughs> what see, about me, you? That's why I love about gaming now because you can make you can put yourself in the game. Yeah. Because no, actually, what I've been grooving to it, I like that new NBA 2K. Because now, because now I can be in the WNBA. See, I can. Oh, really? I can, yeah. yeah. Okay. You, you can be in the W. See, you can be in the W now. On, on 2K20, you can be in the N. You can be in the N. Be in the W. So oh, I like shoot. being. I like being in the W. Okay. Be a, be a New York Liberty point guard. See if we can beat up on the Connecticut Sun. Yeah, Dawn, I said that. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, love no, that. <laughs> I love my Connecticut Sun. And, but, um, yeah. but that's what I like about gaming now is that you can truly, I mean, it's, a, it's an open world. This is, I've been a gamer for 40 years. And I can tell you, this is the stuff I dreamed about in a kid and now it's here. Yeah. But now, Mary Beth, what are you on the sci-fi front, gaming front, geek culture front, whatever? If you're grooving anything, what you're grooving to? Oh, man, I wish I was into that more. I'm into the more murder mysteries. I'm sorry, but <laughs> I just finished, oh, watching, Ozark. That. I finished watching Ozark <laughs> on Netflix, and it only took me a day and a half because I ain't got oh, a job. Oh, same. Ozark, no, Ozark was good. No, Ozark was good. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, what's, I'll tell you what's hot on Netflix, though. The Witcher is, is hot. The oh, Witcher, I, yes. Oh, jump yes. on that. Jump. I got the that joint. Jump it. on that. They better make another season of don't they better not let Netflix that and kill it after one year? You got. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. That give me more. Is that the one with Superman in it? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah that actor. He's yeah. It slaps. Yeah. Go for it. I'm gonna tell you, no, no, no. It's lit. You you need to jump on that. Well, let me just tell you all that right now you should be binge watching Star Trek Picard. The entire season is free <laughs> on CBS All Access. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not free. just for Star Trek nerds like me. It's a really interesting, good show about change and acceptance and about life and immigration and about um the the world we live in now which is what science fiction has always been for me which is telling our problems in a different setting to help us understand them so that's That's just my recommendation that is true 
and plus jump on Picard now because if jump get get caught up because next season's gonna be next season's gonna get real interesting. Well, don't give any spoilers. Well, <laughs> no, no, no. Next week, wait. All I can say is one word: Guinan. Okay. <laughs> that's that's all I'm gonna a say. Wonderful conflagration of of two amazing podcasts, yours and ours. I'm so glad you took the time to talk with us. I'm sorry we didn't get to meet Chloe, but that gives us an opportunity to do another one. Oh yeah, we. Yeah, what a privilege. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you for raising the bar of our awareness because I think too many times all of us think we know people just by looking at them, you know, sizing mm-hmm. them up. Mm-hmm. And it happens to us too. Um, people say, oh, I see this person and I think I know what they are, but do you really? You know, just from looking? Right. And for myself, right. I want to say I was honored to be on your, I was honored to be on your, be a part of your podcast. And I'm really looking, I mean, and I'd love to come back there and talk about these issues even more. And we want to bring y'all back to talk about these issues even more. Because to me, it's just a matter of, I mean, sports like life, be it sports, just like life. I mean, we need to be, if we want to build a better world, we have to be in all the fights. Exactly. I think probably just to be in all the fights. in your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> just invited yourself over <laughs> yes bring a dish no, it's so I'll, I'll bring a dish and some wine though okay <laughs> you're always welcome back here so carly set the coordinates yeah. northern california and south, and florida. south florida Got it. yeah oh so that was great to have them i'm so glad you invited them i'm so glad we got to meet them tell everybody who's listening where we can find that podcast so that people can listen in you can find Disabled Girls Who Lift where you can find every fine podcast. You can find them on Apple, they're on Spotify, SoundCloud, all the, com- they're in all the combines. That's awesome. They're in all the combines. So when you're, so right after you get done listening to Transporter Room, check out Disabled Girls Who Lift. Two excellent podcasts, all for you. This is awesome. Well, we'll be back next week uh, on our usual time slot on Wednesday. And until then, I hope that you stay safe and that you wash your damn hands. That's right. Wash those hands and let's all stick together.